Hello, Flagstaff, and welcome to the first edition of the Double Double for this new semester. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. We have our first guest of the new semester, Cooper. How are you doing today, Cooper? I'm doing pretty good today, Chad. How about you? Doing well, doing well. How are you doing, Casey? I'm doing good. Another day. Good, good. Excited to get this going. All right, so this first topic we're going to get into, guys, is Gonna, we're going to talk about the winners and the losers of the MLB trade deadline. The MLB season, as we all know, with COVID, it is a shortened season playing only 60 games instead of 162 in a shortened season with a weird schedule because of COVID. And it is, the season is wrapping up here shortly, and the MLB trade line just passed this past Monday. So, Casey, I'm going to start with you. Who do you think was your loser from this MLB trade deadline? Man, you know, looking at it, like I did my research, everything, and I have to say it's the Yankees, man. It has to be the Yankees. They did absolutely nothing during the trade deadline. I would like to see them get like a starting pitcher or something to solidify that rotation, but they just didn't go out there, get anything. They're running with uh, a lot of young pitchers and a lot of veteran pitchers. So, yeah, we'll yeah. see how that works out for them. Especially with all those injuries they have on their team right now, you would have uh... You would have thought they would wanted to make at least one or two moves, especially having high expectations coming into the season and not even being in first place in their respective, respective division. Um, Cooper, what about you? Who do you think is your loser from the MLB trade deadline? Uh, I'm gonna have to agree with Casey. Yankees were one of the well, one of the top losers that I kind of saw. Also with the Astros too. Uh, just seems like there's not a lot of experience in their uh, bullpen, a lot of rookies. And uh, yeah, but my, uh, I would mainly agree with Casey with just the Yankees. They just have a lot of people hurt uh, with just a couple weeks away from returning. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were the Yankees, either of you two guys, if you were the Yankees, what key like position, if you could pick one position like pitcher, relief pitcher, starter, maybe outfielder, which type of position would you have looked to like add depth to the Yankees? Um, what I, like I said, they, they just need starting pitching, you know, they, they're just with Tanaka Severino, they've just brought up this, um, 21 year old, their bullpen is fine with Zach Britton and Chad Green and Aroldis Chapman, of course, but their starting pitching is just letting him down this season. I am, you know, yeah, just their starting pitching. It's been very bad. So, yeah. 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 Um, so my loser for this MLB trade deadline. Since you guys went with the East Coast favorite, I'm going to have to razz on the West Coast favorite, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Me being from San Diego, I'm uh, kind of living the life right now with the Padres and Fernando Tatis and all those guys we were having one of the best seasons we've ever had. And the Padres, I'll get into it in a second, but we're one of the most aggressive teams in the, at the deadline. And the Los Angeles Dodgers, with the Padres being right behind them in the division, didn't even make one move. I mean, they have veteran pitchers. They have Kershaw. Kenley Jansen's been stellar. Their bullpen, I mean, they have the best record in the MLB. But you would think that they would want it to make, like, at least one move just to not be so intimidated by the Padres or maybe just to solidify themselves to stay on top of the Padres and finally maybe get that World Series ring that they've kept losing the past couple of years. Um, 
All right, so Cooper, since we just discussed our losers of the MLB trade deadline, who do you think was your winner? Um, I think the winner is kind of obvious all around. Like the Padres had an incredible trade. Um, they were they kept the, uh, their three prospects even with trading a um, bunch of players around. But uh, like like you said, they're uh, second to the Dodgers, but I, it's going to be a pretty good battle, uh, especially if the Dodgers not making a lot of trade or uh, no trades at all. Um, but the Padres, uh, they've only gotten better and they've been doing pretty great the uh, past couple games. What about you, Casey? I also agreed with the Padres, but I have a little sneaky team for you. So I have the Toronto Blue Jays. So they went out and solidified the rotation, something the Yankees should have done. They're 18 and 16 right now, so they're right on that cusp of making the playoffs. Um, but they picked out arms like Tejon Walker, Robbie Ray, Ross Stripling, and they just solidified the rotation. They already had Ryu in there. So just throwing a, a bunch of veteran pitchers into the mix is um, doing a lot for them. And they also picked up Jonathan VR, who's a really sneaky pickup from the Marlins. I thought that was a really good move. And then they got a power bat by Daniel Vogelbach. So I think they did everything they needed to do in the, in the trade deadline. Yeah, especially with all those, with all that young talent they have and Gavin Biggio and Bo Bichet and Vlad Guerrero Jr. Pitching was definitely a worrisome for that team. I like that pick. I like that pick a lot. Um, so for me, I'm going to have to go with the Padres, my, my team. Not just because they are my team, but they were by far the most aggressive team. They had many weaknesses. I wouldn't say many weaknesses, but they had a couple very key weaknesses and their catchers, Austin Hedges and Francisco Mejia, were just absolutely horrendous. They've been – Austin Hedges has been terrible for years. He's one of the best defensive catchers in the league. But if the guy can't even bat his weight, why should he be in the lineup? And I saw this statistic. He was the first San Diego Padre released by them with a career batting average under 200 for his career in San Diego. I mean, that just says everything you need to know. They've been trying to trade him for a year and a half, two years. They finally traded him. I couldn't be happier. They got Austin Nola, which is a veteran catcher. And they added they added a bunch of depth. They got Mitch Moreland, who can give Eric Cosmer a day off at first. Also with the DH rules, with the strange rules for the shortened season with the DH being universal, that adds another lefty power bat to the Padres lineup, which is huge. And bringing in a guy like Mike Clevenger, who's had a 3.20 ERA in his career, I mean, a frontline pitcher to go with Denelson Lamette is just perfect. Perfect one-two punch. Chris Paddock, they still, like um, Cooper said, they kept their top prospects in Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, Luis Camposano. All their, the only top ten prospect in their system they lost was Taylor Tremel. And that was a guy they got from the Cincinnati Reds last season. And they felt he hadn't really progressed since they got him. So that was, I mean, the Padres, head and shoulders above, in my mind, won the trade deadline. Even adding a guy like Trevor Rosenthal was just key. Um, all right, so going in with the season coming down to the wire, what? let's pick out one specific, specific trade that you think can boost. You can pick it off like your winner, for example, or you can go a trade the team didn't make. What? specific key trade do you think is going to put that team like 
above and beyond to maybe make that playoff push? This is a hard one. Uh, me being a Nationals fan, of course, we won the World Series last year, but this season losing Anthony Rendon has really hurt us. We're losing – well, we're having seller seasons from T Trey Turner, who's batting above 360, and Juan Soto, who's batting above 360 as well. But for some reason, that third base spot – like, as Dribble Cabrera is great, don't get me wrong, but it's we didn't we didn't help our cause. Like, with Eric Thames, like, we thought he was going to come in and hit – Rockets, but that third base spot's just something we need to improve on. I mean, it's hard because there's not a lot of third basemen in this uh, league right now that are superstars. Um, but and if they are, they're all locked up in their teams. So I wish we would have gotten a third baseman. Maybe getting a third baseman during the offseason this year will help us give us that little boost. And maybe getting another starting pitcher because Scherzer is getting older, Strasburg is getting older, you know. So yeah. I like that. I like that. What about you, Cooper? Uh, I'm going to have to agree with Casey a lot. Uh, I feel like there was a lot of eyes on Nationals this year, obviously, since they're uh, reigning uh, World Series champs. But, yeah, they, they have been doing so great. Um, and also, uh, like my team, uh, for example, the Red Sox, uh, I feel like they, they expanded their pitching a lot, but I feel like they could have uh, made a couple of trades for, like, uh, some good hitters in there. So, do you think the Red Sox are kind of in after losing out on uh, trading away Mookie Betts in the offseason? Do you think the Red Sox are kind of in tank mode right now to try to rebuild and restock that farm system? And uh, I definitely think so. Mookie was a big loss, um, and it just doesn't seem like with their games uh, happening right now, it just doesn't seem like they have like that same like role like um, strive to beat all their teams, and it seems like they are tanking for a better pick. Mm -hmm. And with not trading Jackie Bradley Jr. at the deadline, he was kind of one of those names floating around that they might trade. You would think they better resign him in the offseason since they didn't get anything from him at the deadline. But I'd be interested to see what they do for sure. Um, so for me, I'm going to have to stick with the Padres. Mike Clevenger is obviously, to me, is the guy that if the Padres are going to make a postseason push, he's going to be crucial to their success. He is a high-energy, high-motor pitcher who feeds off crowd energy, which is unfortunate that there is no crowds for this season. But the Padres are a team that they're known as one of the most exciting teams in baseball. They have a guy, Fernando Tatis Jr., who is just electric in all aspects of the game. I mean, he's hitting grand slams on 3-0 pitch when they're winning by eight or ten runs in the eighth inning. I mean, the dude's just unreal. But Mike Clevenger, if he performs and is that front line number one who can – start a series and pitch a good game one and then come back and pitch a good game four that can where you can possibly at least split those two games or go two and oh I think that'll be very crucial to the success of the San Diego Padres making it to the playoffs and breaking that drought since 2006 first of all which should happen and maybe winning a series or two and especially competing as a team like the Dodgers you need those frontline starting pitchers but that wraps up Thank you for listening. We're going to head into a quick commercial break. After we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about an insane first-round series that was probably one of the best ever between the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets. And we'll be giving our reactions to a crazy Game 7, which came down to the last shot. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Chad Piper alongside my co-host Casey Everett. 
and our guest for this first half hour session is Cooper. We just wrapped up an intense conversation about the winners and losers of the MLB trade deadline not too long ago. And now we're going to be talking about which was one of the craziest first round series I have ever seen. And maybe it was the bubble that brought it out, but this series was something else. The Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets going to a game seven after the Utah Jazz were up 3-1 in the series after the first four games. And the Nuggets storming back to win the last three in advance. Casey, we'll start with you. What did you think of game seven, man? Man, man, man. You know, it's crazy to uh, see the final score, you know, 78 to 80. You don't really see that nowadays. That's more like old school basketball, complete defense. But you could tell the Jazz and the Nuggets wanted it so bad. Both teams wanted it so bad. But yet there only can be one winner, right? So one winner, Nuggets take it. And what was interesting to me was the Nuggets only scored 30 points in the second half. 30 points. Usually that's a quarter for a lot of people. And the Jazz scored 42, which, yeah, they were down by as many as 19, the Jazz were. And they rallied in the second half to try and make that comeback. But sometimes it always comes down to that final shot, you know. So it's a crazy game. Crazy, crazy game. What about you, Cooper? Yeah, it was just – it was crazy to see, like, the, like, crazy performances in the uh, first couple games. There, I, I'm looking now, there's – I – there wasn't one game where they scored under 100 until this last one. And, yeah, it was just – they were fighting for it. I could just see them. They, and even the Jazz – like, the Nuggets, it was fueling them the whole time. They were coming back from that 3-1 deficit. But even the Jazz, they were still trying to get that win on them. And it was just – it was really – it was really fun to watch just a whole, like, defensive game. And surprisingly, only, like, uh, Murray only shooting – I believe like four or 17 points that game. So they held them to that, but it was, it was a really great series to watch. Yeah. It's crazy. If you would have, after watching those first six games, if you would have told me in game seven, Jamal Murray was only going to score 17 points. I would have said, geez, the jazz must are probably going to win by 25, but Nikola Jokic with a big 30 piece was huge for them. And I mean, this game, like you guys said, came down to the wire. Gary Harris coming back those last two games was one of the most key additions to this team, I feel like, because the first couple of games, the Nuggets, they couldn't guard a high school basketball basketball team if they tried. They were giving up 140, 150 points in the playoffs. Like, what are you doing? Like, how do you expect to win when you're giving up that many points? And, I mean, they're lucky Jamal Murray was cooking in games four, five, and six – or games five and six, excuse me, because – Man, he led them to some incredible wins with some incredible late-game shots. But Gary Harris coming up with that late steal to give while the Nuggets were up by two. And then the Nuggets in transition, instead of pulling the ball out and getting fouled with probably six or seven seconds left, going to the free line, shooting two shots. Jamal Murray pushes the ball in transition and throws it to Torrey Craig, who misses a wide-open layup. And Utah Jazz come back down, and Mike Conley has a three-point attempt to win it to win the series and it goes in and out and you could just see the disgust or not disgust, but just the heart heartbreak and Donovan Mitchell just laying on the floor. Just, I mean, both those guards gave everything they had in the series. Um, so between those two guards, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray, who are going to be phenomenal to watch going on from here. I saw a couple reporters call Donovan Mitchell the second coming of a young 
Dwayne Wade, which is, I mean, that's high praise. A future Very Hall high of praise, Famer. definitely high praise. <laughs> a future Hall of Famer with three, three championships. I mean, that's ridiculous. So, who would you guys think overall had the better series, or who do you think is gonna have the better future, Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell? That is tough. I mean, you could see it coming in right as a rookie. Donovan Mitchell had something special, you know. He came into the league, tore it up, averaged 20 points a game. They almost – that was the same year as Ben Simmons' rookie year, rookie year, in quotes, and where they wanted to do co-MVP because he had such a stellar season. So, I mean, right now, I would say Donovan Mitchell is going to have the better career. But who knows, man? Like, Jamal Murray, like, dropping 50 bombs, like, like it's nothing. So, it's hard to say right now. They're still really young, very exciting to watch, but – Man, those two, they have a bright future. What about you, Cooper? Yeah, I kind of want to piggyback off that. Like, it's – Murray really had, like, a really good uh, series, like, scoring those 50 bombs and everything. But, um, honestly, this might even – this is going to fuel Donovan Mitchell even more of just coming back next season because I, I personally – is my opinion. Uh, I feel like Murray like really pulled through in this because of the bubble, and I feel like a lot of players have been doing that, like uh, Devin Booker had on the Suns. But Donovan Mitchell, like with scoring uh, like average twenty points uh, game in the past couple seasons, but like I feel like this is just gonna fuel him more, and I feel like people are actually gonna see him as a real threat now. Yeah, I have a question for you, Coop. So, what do you think the Jazz need now? What what do you think they do? Uh, I honestly think they uh, – I think they got a little – I think they let the bubble kind of take advantage of them a little bit. Like, they were kind of riding it uh, for a little bit. And they – honestly, I didn't – I don't think they expected Kamal uh, Murray to come back like that. So, I think uh, next season, like, they just need to focus on – and I think they need to play to their strengths. Like, they're a really great offensive team, but they also have to pick up their – defense like they did in the last uh, three games of the series. Yeah, and uh, Bojan Bogdanovic not being there and staying home because he uh, he was hurt and wasn't able to go to the bubbles, obviously another key loss for the team. Um, and going on with my uh, personal opinion, I'm going to have to go with – I thought Donovan Mitchell was the better player in the series. I mean, Jamal Murray, clutch bucket after clutch bucket. The dude was unreal in those games. I'm not going to take it away from him. But the reason I say Donovan Mitchell is because I was really impressed with him. He guarded Jamal Murray most of game seven, and Jamal Murray had arguably his worst game, even though his team still got the win. So did he really even have a bad game? I mean, numbers-wise, yes. But Donovan Mitchell taking that challenge and really stepping up and guarding a guy who was literally unstoppable in the past couple games, I was really impressed with that. And I saw a couple of crazy stats. Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell became the first pair of players to average 30-plus points per game while shooting 50% or better from the floor in the same playoff series since LeBron James and Kevin Durant in the 2017 NBA Finals. That's insane. And, yeah. And they both are the number one and number two guys for the most three-pointers in a single playoff series. Donovan Mitchell had 33. Jamal Murray is tied with Steph for second with 32. 
So there's no really wrong answer about who had the better series. Both guys were unreal, to say the least. Um, but Casey, do you think the Nuggets have even a glimmer of a chance against the Clippers in the next round? That's a tough question. You know, it all depends on one player for the Clippers for me, and that's Paul George. You know, if he can come back and be the old Paul George, then game wrap, it's done. Because, yeah, they just have too much offense. I think Paul George was averaging like 12 to 15 points a game throughout the, his first series, and that's just not Paul George. So he needs to come back, be strong, and if that happens, then I don't think the Nuggets will really stand a chance. But they are really good defensively, the Nuggets. So, and you never know. A series like that, you can never know. What about you, Coop? Um, yeah, uh, like, again, like Paul George averaging 12, 15 points in the series that, yeah, the whole pandemic P, that kind of lived true a little bit. But um, I, I feel like uh, they had a really, like the Clippers had a really tough game, like a whole series with uh, the Mavericks. And so I think that with the Nuggets kind of on fire and just kind of steamrolling, I think they honestly do have a chance of, Maybe not winning the whole series, but really uh, giving the Clippers a run for their money with it, like the Mavs did. I feel that. I, I would say I would give the Nuggets maybe, for sure, at least one game, maybe two. I just think the, the Clippers' perimeter defense is just – I think it's going to be too much for a guy like Jamal Murray to go off for these 40- and 50-point games. And Nikola Jokic, he should – he should eat. He should have some very good games versus Ivaka, Ivaka Zubac. And a guy like Montrezl Harrell might post a threat to him just being how physical and athletic that he is and how strong he is coming off the bench. But just cool. I feel like they'll be able to throw different bodies at Jamal Murray. They got Kawhi Leonard, arguably one of the best defenders in the league. They got Paul George, who even though when his offense is struggling, he's still very solid on the defensive end. They have Reggie Jackson. Hopefully, Patrick Beverly is back to the series. He missed the whole first round. So I just feel like the Clippers have too much to throw at the Nuggets to give the Nuggets a fair chance to win the series. I feel like they could win a game or two. But so what would you guys give your prediction? Like Clippers, if we all say the Clippers, how many games do you think the Clippers are winning? I'm going to say five games. The Clippers. Five. Yeah, I'm gonna go five. Um, I I I will. For an average, I would say five. But if they steamroll like the Nuggets have been doing, honestly, they might they they might even take them to Game Six, maybe Game Seven. That's a little bit of a stretch. But I honestly feel like the whole fight against the Jazz kind of fired them up for it. Yeah, did you guys, I don't know if you guys saw, but after the Game 7, Jamal Murray was getting interviewed by Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. And in the interview, um, Scott Van Pelt, he said something about, what do you do between the game being yesterday, Tuesday? What do you do between now and Thursday? And Jamal Murray, he was like, looked like someone in his family, like, passed away or something. His eyes were just wide open. He was like, we play Thursday? So I just feel like, like Cooper said, that series is really just going to – I mean, that was an all-out dogfight. Every game, every game for the most part was close. I just think they're going to come in fatigued, and the Clippers being fresh, 
I think they played last probably, what, Sunday, I believe. So I think they're just going to be too fresh for the Nuggets in this series. But what do you guys think about Donovan Mitchell and the Jazz giving him a Supermax deal? Do you think this whole series has kind of turned him into the superstar they always thought he, he was? Or do you think this is kind of like he had a really good series in this bubble, he's going to get paid a bunch, but do you think he's worth it, yes or no? I think, yeah, he's worth it. I mean, looking at the Jazz right now, they only have two really good players, and that's being Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So, I mean, giving him the max deal, making sure he feels good about being in Utah, I think that's huge for Donovan Mitchell and the franchise. And I, I also feel like um, I, I feel like Donovan Mitchell really got the opportunity to kind of shine like while they've been in the bubble. I feel like a lot of people have been uh, given the spotlight in there and kind of really like taking advantage and showing what they can do. So I think that money is well-deserved, and I feel like he's really going to uh, show them that it was the right move this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys. I think – the five five year max deal. I think it's a hundred seventy million. It's perfect for him. I feel like I w- I just visited Utah. I think it was like the start of the playoffs, and everybody loves him there. He's like a fan favorite. He's a very classy guy. He doesn't get in trouble with the law. He's not out partying or pushing the wrong message. He's a very he fits the Jazz very well in that city and that state. All right, so that is going to wrap up our first half hour of the show. We talked about the winners and losers of the MLB trade deadline, and we recapped an incredible first-round series between the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets. Cooper, we'd like to thank you for coming on as our guest today. We'd love to have you in the future anytime you would like to join. All right, stay tuned, folks. We have a fresh guest coming in, Brendan. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome back to the Double Double here on KLJX LP Flagstaff, the Wednesday edition of the Double Double between 5 and 6.30. I am your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett, and we have a new guest we'd like to welcome in, Brendan. Brendan, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Good, good. We'd love to have you anytime. So this first segment that we're going to be talking about, ladies and gentlemen, is we're going to be recapping an insane game six that came down to the wire between the Thunder and Rockets, a series that has been back and forth after the Rockets going up 2-0 to the Thunder, then winning two in a row to the Rockets winning game five and the Thunder forcing a game seven by winning 104 to 100 in game six. Brendan, we'll start with you. What was one of your biggest takeaways from game six? Um, That the Thunder are something special. They are probably the, the team that, uh, that I had no idea would make it this far. Uh, looking at the way how things were looking in the offseason when they traded uh, Westbrook for Paul. So obviously having Thunder versus Rockets in this matchup was one that I wanted to see because there's a history of that trade. Um, but one thing I, need, I, I was curious about is, um, you know, Russell Westbrook coming back from injury. You know, I wanted to see, can he, can he handle it well and how – how much was it going to affect his game? Because he is certainly uh, a catalyst for um, how this series is going to play out. Totally, totally. 
I totally agree with you. And then the offseason, like you said, the odds were stacked up against the Thunder. I think ESPN gave them like a 0.2 chance to even just make the playoffs, let alone. And now here they are as a five seed under the leadership of Chris Paul. It's just an incredible story. What about you, Casey? What was one of your big takeaways from game six? Yeah, so what I took away from this game is obviously the health of Russell Westbrook and what they're going to do about his minutes. But also um, Russ's turnovers, like seven turnovers, man. Like that's that's huge. He had the most turnovers on the Rockets uh, that game. And that probably could have co like costed them the game in the end. So them, him having seven turnovers and also they only shot 12 free throws the entire game. Like they need to get to the line. They need to get into the paint. And I know they don't have a lot of big bodies and that's not their game, but you're letting the other, you're letting the Thunder not get in foul trouble, which has to shake up their, their rotations. And then, yeah, they're just not getting to the line. So they're not getting those easy points. And they're a really good free throw shooting team too. So it's like, you kind of want to get those easy points when you can and shooting 12 free throws is not going to cut it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the free throws being a big aspect of it, James Harden, I mean, he usually shoots 12 free throws on his own on any given night. And crazy that you say that they weren't, they actually beat the Thunder points in the paint 46 to 32, which was mind boggling to me. I, just watching the game, I would have never guessed that. But my biggest takeaway has to be Chris Paul. I mean, the guy's 35 years old. He's rocking his bald head. He's losing his hair. I mean, he's still out there in the bubble, giving people buckets, doing work, leading this young team. I mean, these three guards are just – they drive this whole team, Gilgis Alexander, Paul, and Schroeder off the bench. I mean, when those three guards are going, when they, they usually average between 60 to 70 points between the three of them, when they're going, this team is at another level. And, I mean, they can compete with anyone, not saying they're going to win it all or anything, but they're a very competitive team. And Chris Paul actually leading the game in plus-minus at plus 20, and Westbrook having the worst plus-minus on his second game back at minus nine with seven turnovers, like Casey said. All right, Brandon, I'm going to shoot it over to you. Why do you not think that James Harden did not have the ball in his hands in any of those final couple possessions down the stretch when the game was so neck and neck? Well, the story with James Harden is that he's one of the best players in the regular season and that in the postseason, he has a tendency to not really show up. You know, you know there was that time during the Warriors dynasty where the Rockets had to go up against them pretty much every year, and he just, he just, he just couldn't show up. Um, so I think it's a uh, part of it is that they're trying to get Westbrook back, um, get him acclimated, uh, to playing more minutes. So they're probably giving him the ball more, but uh, I just think that, you know, Harden as well, he's going to have to pull out some big plays, uh, because without that, just like before, um, you know, that, that team really needs help. So. About you, Casey. What what do you think was the thought process going on? Maybe in Dan Tony said why the ball wasn't like a play wasn't drawn up for Harden. Maybe it's because they know that they're always going to go to him. I mean, at the end of the day, they are a three-point shooting team, and anybody on that team can shoot a three and make it at any given time. So maybe they're just thinking maybe if we get a bit to the guy that doesn't always shoot the three, that we're going to come back and win this game in those last final possessions, like you said. So. Maybe they're just trying to shake things up. Maybe, uh, like Brendan said, they're trying to get 
Russell back into like the thick of things and trying to let him do his thing. But when you give out seven turnovers and stuff like that and give him the ball and fuel him when he's not doing the best is detrimental. So. Yeah, and on that final play, you could really see Westbrook trying to, like you said, they have those great three-point shooters, and Covington was having a good game. Harden tried to set a pick for him and get Westbrook going downhill maybe to get to the basket and get an easy layup. But you could see Chris Paul, who was guarding P.J. Tucker all the way in the left corner, shoot all the way across the floor, almost like he read the play that was coming. Westbrook came off that pick, and Paul was right in his grill. Not that he was there to take a charge or anything, but he was running right by him, and he wasn't even really looking at Westbrook. He was running directly to Covington because he knows the Rockets love to shoot threes. He was almost conceding the two-point basket to Westbrook, but Westbrook didn't see Paul coming, panicked, and threw the ball out of bounds, which eventually led to the Thunder holding on to win 104 to 100. So, guys, with a crucial Game 7 coming up, I believe in an hour, do you, Westbrook is on a minutes restriction. He's been playing 28 minutes. I think he played 27 minutes last game. And he did announce after the game that he would be on a minutes restriction for game seven. If you were Mike D'Antoni in the Houston Rockets, you have to think, I mean, his job might be on the line here if he loses this game. Do you think he sticks to that minutes restriction? Or if he feels his team is in dire need of help and Westbrook has it going, do you think he might push that limit a little bit? What do you think, Casey? Um, it's a hard thing to say, you know, like coming back from injury, like I'm sure all of us have tried to come back from injury too soon and something bad happens during your recovery. So, I mean, it's hard to say right now. I think it'll be one of those last minute calls. Like if Russell's having a really good game and not giving up turnovers and like actually playing super well, like Russell can, then they'll probably just cut the minutes restriction and be like, yo, just go for it. So, I mean, it's also in Russell's nature to just go out there and play, you know, it's kind of hard when you give that kind of player a minutes restriction when he's always going full bore. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I think if it comes down to it, Mike D'Antoni will kind of have to play him if he's doing well. What about you, Brendan? Uh, yeah, I kind of echo the same things that Casey said, you know, Russ is one of those players in the league right now that has uh, gathered the mama mentality to where it's all about play for him. Um, so it's going to be hard knowing that this is a game seven and seeing Russell Westbrook not play is something that I just can't imagine. And if you're Mike D'Antoni, I think you look at, um, what's been going on around the league, you know, a comparison I like to draw is what, uh, happened with Alvin Gentry and the Pelicans. You know, the whole idea was, you know, Zion's got to be on a minute restriction. He's, you know, he's too heavy or, you know, he's got to get acclimated to his body and his play. And then that's what exactly what they did. And now Alvin Gentry is out of a job. So if I'm Mike D'Antoni, um, I'm looking at that exact same thing in that there's no better place to play Westbrook than a game seven. Um, so that's, I mean, you know, obviously you play it by ear, you know, depending on what the score is at uh, late in the game, you see what you need to do. But if it's crunch time and you need uh, a scorer who can get to the paint, you know, Russ is your guy. I totally agree with you. If I'm D'Antoni, with all the hype that was coming into the season with Oh, the Rockets acquire Westbrook. Oh, are the Rockets a NBA Finals contender? Will they come out the West? Are they the top contenders with the Lakers and the Clippers? I mean, if I'm him, I'm nervous. If he loses this game, like Brenda mentioned about Alvin Gentry, he could be out of a job. Do I think he'll lose his job? 
don't know. I'm kind of 50-50, just the way the Rockets have their roster set up. They kind of need a Dan Tony coach with shoot a bunch of threes and just let's outscore everyone. I mean, their defense has been very improved in this postseason. But like Brendan said, I would if we need Westbrook, I'm playing him. If he says he can go, I trust him. He can go. I mean, if the trainers and all this are saying, no, don't play him, no, don't play him, it could ruin his career, then you can't go down that road. You can't ruin his career. But if Westbrook is fine with playing, if he's feeling good, he's being efficient on the floor, if he's helping the team, you have to play him. Like you guys said, I mean, there's just nothing else to do. It's win or go home, stay in the bubble, or go back to your normal boring quarantine lives. So whichever ones you want to do. But that wraps up our first session, recapping the Thunder and the Rockets with our with Game Seven coming up tonight. Thank you for staying. Uh, thank you for staying tuned in. After the break, we're gonna talk about the Heat and the Bucks Game One. And is it time to worry about the Milwaukee Bucks? Is Chris Middleton a good enough number two to help Giannis get through the East? We'll talk about all and more after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. And we have our guest here, Brendan. We just wrapped up a great conversation talking about the Thunder and Rockets game six, talking about Russell Westbrook coming back from injury. What do you think, what we think is going to happen in game seven? Will he be on a minutes restriction or not? Dan Tony's on the hot seat. What is he going to do? But moving into our next topic, the Miami Heat defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in game one, 114 to 104 to take game one of the series. Miami Heat being the four seed, who is now 5-0 in the NBA playoffs in the bubble over the number one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks. So starting with you, Casey, what's your reaction to this game one Miami Heat 11-point victory? Man, you could just tell the Heat wanted more, can't you? I mean, Jimmy Butler is doing everything in his power to make this Heat team win. He shot 13 for 20. Surprise, But the surprising player of the playoffs right now for me from the Heat is actually Gorgon Drogic. Even he, in the playoffs, he's averaging 23.6 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 5 assists a night. All right? And he's also averaging 1.2 steals. So he's doing stuff on the defensive end, too. And his career averages are only like 14 points per game. So in this playoffs, he's making a big, huge step in um, taking this Heat team. Like Bam Adebayo also doing incredible with 14.7, 17 rebounds. They're just a collective team, and they you can tell they just want it. They want to beat the Bucks. I totally agree. What about you, Brennan? I mean, yeah, I mean – as far as matchups go, we knew the Bucks, or excuse me, we knew the Heat were going to be a tough out. I remember uh, before the league shut down, uh, the Heat and the Bucks played, and then the Heat ended up finding a playbook to defend Giannis, just surrounding the paint with a wall of defenders, and Giannis really couldn't do anything aside from shoot. And we know we know his shooting isn't all there yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, it 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 bears comparison to the round one, the Bucks lost round game one to Orlando. So I think the whole – I think it's, it's not panic time quite yet. We'll see what happens at the end of game two. But it's just a matter of being able to uh, hold on to that playbook against Giannis 
and just ne- neutralizing him and all uh, on all aspects of the of his offense. Yeah, I totally agree. And you touched up on those matchups, and like you said, I think the Miami Heat are one of the best well-rounded defensive teams. They're one of the best defensive teams they've been all season. They have a guy like Bam Adebayo that Casey touched up on, who is a mobile young big man that can guard Giannis. They have Jimmy Butler, who is a dog in all aspects of the game, dropped 40 points. And like Brendan mentioned, they're just building a wall, and whenever he gets in there, they're not afraid to foul him. I mean, why would you be afraid to foul him over giving him a dunk? I mean, he shot four of 12 from the free throw line, two of five from the three-point line. So they're not scared of his shooting at all. And, I mean, one guy that was surprising was Chris Middleton. He had 28 points. If you would have told me Chris Middleton was going to have 28 points in game one, I would have said the Bucks are going to win. There's no way. Chris Middleton has kind of been – he's been their number two for the past couple of seasons. But in the past playoffs, he has laid an egg. He has been the reason why Giannis puts up these monsters 15 – I mean, 30 points, 15 rebounds, 12 assist games, and Chris Middleton has 12 points on five of 15 shooting. As his number, as Chris Middleton being the number two guy, do you think he is a good enough number two to help Giannis conquer the East for the first time in his career? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, in the regular season, Chris Middleton, he's he's fantastic and. Like you said, in the playoffs, he just kind of turns it off a little bit, turns it down. I mean, there's a lot of – if you look at all, like, the dynamic duos in the NBA right now, you look at Harden and Westbrook, two, like, legitified all-stars, superstars. You look at Anthony Davis and LeBron James, they're all-stars, they're superstars. I don't think Chris Middleton's up to that superstar standard that the NBA has now that you need at least – two superstars on a team to make it to the finals. I just – I don't think that he's the guy for Giannis and the Bucks. What about you, Brendan? Well, I agree that he's certainly not up to the same st- up to the same standard as the other number twos that uh, Casey mentioned earlier. I mean, he is still an all-star. He is still cap- uh, capable of finding his own shot uh, like he did in game one. And it's just a matter of, you know, Giannis, you know, reigning MVP – probably going to win it for the second year in a row. You know, by nature, he's going to have to do more to carry that team. Um, So by that extension, you know, having Chris Middleton, who's number two, may not be the biggest detriment when you, your team is, uh, has done so well in the regular season uh, so far, but yeah, it's just a matter of, can he do it consistently? Because we don't know that yet. It's only been game one. Um, It's just, he's got to, he's got to make sure that, you know, he can do it when, the shooting isn't Giannis' strong point. Middleton's going to have to be that guy that can shoot from outside. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. I, I personally don't think Middleton is a good enough number two. I think in the playoffs, baskets are even harder to come by than the regular season. I mean, there's guys like Jason Tatum who can create his own shot, can make tough shots. Guys like Damian Lillard, I mean, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Jamal Murray, and Donovan Mitchell, as we saw. Every basket in crunch time is very tough, and especially with the law on the line in these games. I mean, lose four games and you go home. So, I mean, their seasons are riding on the line. I think Giannis is spectacular. He is, like Brendan said, he's going to win his back-to-back MVP. 
But I just don't think Chris Middleton is that guy that can – the game is tied with 30 seconds left. Chris Middleton, ISO, I just don't think he can give you that bucket. I think he is a perimeter catch-and-shoot shooter that feeds off Giannis getting all the attention during the regular season, which helps Chris Middleton thrive because he is a good spot-up three-point shooter when he has it going. But me personally, I don't think Chris Middleton is good enough to give Giannis those breaks when Giannis is clamped up in the lane and they pass out to Middleton and Middleton has to create something. I just personally don't think he has that arsenal on his bag of tricks, as they call it, yet. But we'll see. Um, so with the Miami Heat winning game one, and the Miami Heat are actually winning right now, the score is... 97 to or the score is 100 to 93 with eight minutes left in game two so the bucks are on the verge of going down 2-0 in the series casey i'm gonna start with you if the bucks happen to lose this series and get bounced out of the playoffs with Giannis being a free agent do you think he resigns with milwaukee or do you think he goes somewhere else we've seen this before it's like LeBron James leaving Cleveland all over again. And it's one of those things where he's like, he's probably thinking, I need help. I need help right now. I've done all I can. If you're not going to help me, I'm going to leave. And it's sad to say, but he needs help. He needs somebody to help him. You saw with all the, like I said before, all the great teams need that number two, at least a number two. Some teams even have a number three, you know, um, but it's just hard to say right now. I feel like if the Bucks pursue somebody else during free agency, like get a superstar, I don't know what the free agency market's looking at like right now, or they trade for somebody, like they trade their young assets like Dante DiVincenzo and stuff like that to get like another all-star or superstar, then maybe Giannis resigns. But right now, I, if they lose this series, I don't, I don't think he's going to resign. What about you, Brendan? Uh, yeah, I mean, if it, if it, if they get bounced in uh, round two when last year they, they went all the way up to the conference finals, then uh, that Milwaukee front office is going to have a lot of a lot of things to talk about. You know, they're going to have to court him essentially, whether it's you know building a team around him that better suits his skills, or even trading to get his brothers on the team because we know he's wanted to get his he wanted to play with his brothers. You know, they're going to have to do everything imaginable to make sure that he stays there. And it's going to be tough considering he's obviously a super max player. So what's the, what's the deal going to be with that salary cap? You know, how much more are they willing to give up in order to make sure that Giannis is happy while at the same time building a team around him? Because right now that's looking to be pretty tough. Yeah, like you said, he does want to play with his brothers. And could you imagine a team throwing out a lineup with three Antetokounmpo's? <laughs> I think – I think and there's a fourth one coming. Yeah. There's a yeah. fourth one coming. <laughs> Both starting five of Antetokounmpo's on one team. That'd be, that'd be pretty funny. But, um, yeah, I personally don't think – I mean, all season we've heard about Giannis saying, oh, I want to resign, I want to resign. I feel like he's just saying that to the media. If he really wanted to resign, why hasn't he resigned yet? Is he waiting to see what happens in the playoffs? Is he waiting to see what potential offers he could get from other teams? I saw a report today that – he could join the Miami Heat, the very team he's playing right now. I don't know if the I think the Heat have, would have enough salary cap with all the young guys that they have, with Jimmy Butler being their main piece, with most teams having like two supermax players. So who knows? That could be a possibility. 
but we will have to see. We'll have to see how the series shakes out. I would like to thank Brendan for joining us on the second half hour of our show. And coming up after the break, me and Casey will be talking about our playoff picks for the Eastern and Western Conference and picking our NBA Finals matchups and giving our take on who we think is going to take home the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Stay tuned. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to the Double Double on KLJX, LP Flagstaff, the Wednesday edition of the Double Double. I'm your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. We wrapped up a really good hour segment talking about the MLB trade deadline, recap the Jazz and the Nuggets. What a crazy first-round series that was. And we previewed Game 7 of the Thunder Rockets, which should be tipping off any minute now. And we recap the Heat and the Bucks. And now, a fun little segment that we're going to get going for our first show of the semester. We're going to be, with the NBA playoffs in full swing, we are going to be making our predictions here that you, the fans, can follow along and see possibly who picks more correct picks between me or Casey, who picks the champion. We shall see. It will be on recording. There will be evidence. <laughs> it will be recorded. <laughs> There is evidence, so if there's any controversy, we can go back to this segment. So, Casey, I'm going to start with you. With the first and the second round matchup between the Heat and the Bucks. who do you got to take in that series and why? Man, if you caught our last segment, you probably know where I'm going with this. But I think the, Heat's, the Heat will win against the Bucks. I really do. Like you said, like we said previously in our uh, last segment, they have a Giannis stopper. Bam Adebayo is a very lanky, very physical, just agile, too, for a seven-footer. You know, you don't see that every day, and he's guarding Giannis, shutting him down in game one. Only had, Giannis only had 18 points, shot, what, four for 12 from free throw. There's no fans around, and you're still missing free throws. It's one of those things. But I do have the Heat winning in six. I totally agree with you. I also have the Heat taken that series for the same reasons you said. They have a Giannis stopper. They have Bam Adebayo. They have a great coach in Eric Spolster, a guy who has won championships, a guy who has been there. They have a young team with guys like Tyler Hero, um, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, some really key rotational players that are young. But under the leadership of Jimmy Butler, they can. I believe they can do it. They throw a lot of different bodies at Giannis. They stack the paint every time he drives in. They're making other guys like Chris Middleton, George Hill, Pat Connington, and Brooke Lopez beat them from deep. And if I'm Eric Spolstra, I'm totally fine with that. If those guys, Brooke Lopez, goes off for 35 points, you deal with that. You lose that game, and I guarantee you he doesn't do it again. So I will also be taking the Heat in six. It looks like they are going to take game two. They're up by a couple points with a couple minutes left, so anything – is still up in the air. Yeah. But so we both have the Heat in that series. Yeah. Moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals, with the Boston Celtics up 2-0 over the Toronto Raptors in the other Eastern Conference semi. Who do you have advancing to play the Heat? It's 2-0 already. They haven't been looking like themselves. I'm gonna take the Celtics to beat the Raptors. I'm gonna say in five games. And that's just because Jason Tatum, man, Jason Tatum is going off, my guy. So Jason Tatum, 34 points, eight rebounds last game. And then you get D 
these spark performances from Marcus Smart, 19 points, five threes, 16 points in the uh, fourth quarter. They just have everything. They have depth. They have everything they really need to make a real impact in these playoffs. So I'm going to take the Celtics in five. I, I will also be taking the Celtics. And Jason Tatum is phenomenal. He is one of the rising superstars in our league. I mean, he kind of reminds me of a young Kobe Bryant. He has that fadeaway. He has that ISO isolation game. His three-pointers have really been coming on this season. And one thing I noticed that was key in game two, I mean, the Raptors all season long, everyone was saying, oh, the Raptors are so good. They're still the number two seed in the East. They don't even have Kawhi Leonard, and they're still this good. Oh, Pascal Siakam this. Oh, Fred Van Fleet this. Yeah. But to me, in that last game, they missed a Kawhi Leonard. Coming down to crunch time, they didn't know who to throw the ball to. They were discombobulated. Their offense looked lost. Their defense was all over the place. They needed that leader on the floor who had been there. Kyle Lowry's great, but he's no Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. No, they, need that, they need that key guy. Siakam has not stepped into that role just yet. They tried to groom him all season. He is still young. I believe he's in his third year. So he is still young. He's still going to be a great player in this league. But he is just not there yet to lead this team through the Eastern Conference and have a chance for a title. So that is my key reason why the Celtics will win. I'll give, them, I'll give the Raptors two games. The Celtics will win in six. They are already up 2-0. I think Nick Nurse will put together a game plan. I mean, that guy's a phenomenal coach. I mean, Brad as well. It's a, it's a great coaching matchup in that series of two young – two of the best young minds in, in the NBA. So uh, we both have the Celtics and the Heat matching up in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'll let you go first. Who do you got winning? The Eastern Conference Finals. All right. So like I said, both teams, great. You know, both teams deserve to be in the Eastern Conference Finals, but there only can be one winner. And I'm going to take the Celtics. I'm going to take the Celtics to beat the Heat. And this is because of their depth. They have so much depth. They have somebody – they have 10 people that can play at any given time and make an impact. So, with that being said, I think the Celtics will win in a very close series, but I think it will go six, and I'll have the Celtics winning. Okay. To be different, I, I think the Celtics are a great team, and uh, they're fun to watch. and. That series is like a toss-up for me. I could see the Heat winning. I could see the Celtics winning. But just the leadership of Jimmy Butler is something that I've really, like, grown to like. I mean, that guy got so much hate leaving Philadelphia. All the Philadelphia sports writers were saying, have fun getting booted out of the first round. You won't even make it. The Heat won't be good. Why are you going to a non-championship contender? All this, all this negative talk about a great player they – tried to diminish his character, saying he wasn't a good teammate. All of this nonsense in offseason. Really, I've really grown to like the story of the Miami Heat. Of, we both think they're going to beat the number one seed. And if they could advance all the way to the NBA Finals, I mean, it's a, it's a great leadership job by Jimmy Butler and a great, a great coaching job by Eric Spolstra. I just yeah. think they match up well. I mean, I feel Jimmy Butler can match up with Jason Tatum. Drogic and Kemba Walker will be a good matchup. I think Kemba has a slight edge in that aspect. But Kemba, he has not been himself the past couple of games. I mean, Tatum and Brown have been the key 
key reasons the Celtics have been winning. And Jalen Brown, I would have to say, is probably the X factor. I mean, being guarded by Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, he should he should eat them up. He should yeah. score in twenty five points. He should be he should be he should be killing to say the least. I mean, that guy is in his fourth season is having career highs in all aspects, all numbers. So I mean, I would love to see that Eastern Conference matchup and that. Uh, be a little rivalry between me and you to see uh, who wins between the Heat and the Celtics. But um, so Casey's got the Celtics in the NBA Finals coming out of the East. I got the Miami Heat. And starting with the – we'll start since there's a game seven that is about to play and the winner will be facing the Lakers. We'll just – we'll start with who we think is going to win that game seven and then just go on to talk about who – who will um, win between the Lakers and whoever wins game seven. Man, oh, man, game seven. It's hard to pick right now, you know. 3-3, three, three, they've been evenly matched all series. But veteran, there's veteran leadership on both teams. This is hard, but I think I'm going to go with Houston. I think I have to go with Houston. If Russell can perform tonight, if they can – it's. You, we all know with the Rockets, they're a make-or-miss team. They might have one of those games where they just make everything, everything from three. So I'm going to take the Rockets in this one. Okay. I'm going to take the Thunder in this one for my boy Chris Paul. I feel like he's, uh, he has a great chip on his shoulder. I think he really has this team rallying behind him. You saw I, – I saw after the last game of game six that big, big, big-time win. All the team, everyone smiles, everyone's patting him on the back, like all hype. I mean, I feel like that team has really come together under his leadership. And they have a great young coach also, Billy Donovan. And I feel like if Paul can have a good game and either Gilgis Alexander or Schroeder can also go off for 25 points, I think the Thunder will be able to take this game and move on to play the Lakers in that. I'm sure Chris Paul would love to play one of his best friends, LeBron James, in the playoffs. I mean, not saying I think the Thunder will win or anything, but I uh, <laughs> believe that for uh, my prediction in a couple minutes. But you have the Houston Rockets winning and advancing to play the Lakers. What do you think is going to happen in that series? I have to take the Lakers in this one. They have LeBron James. And, like, I know it's cliche, LeBron James this, but LeBron James in playoff mode is a – totally different animal man and with Anthony Davis dropping 40 last game to close out the trailblazers it's just they're on they took the bubble lightly they weren't the greatest team in the bubble but they were they're gearing up to be ready for this playoffs. so I think LeBron and Anthony Davis and co will take it and I'll give them six games I totally agree with you I think the I think the Thunder proposed an easier matchup for the Lakers. I think Anthony Davis would just eat. I think he's going to have 40 points every game. I mean, I don't think anyone on the Thunder can really match up with LeBron. I think it's going to be a matchup nightmare. For the Thunder, I think the Lakers will roll, roll through them, and they might even sweep them, but I'll give the Thunder one game. I'll say the Lakers will win at five. But those matchups just do not fit the Thunder. I mean, it's just a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. To guard LeBron, or is he going to guard Anthony Davis and uh, whichever one he picks? Gallinari, who can't guard anyone. I, I watch him on defense, and I'm like, 
dude, a chair could do better on defense. So if he matches up on LeBron, LeBron's going for 50 and 20 assists. Yeah. Because Adams will have to guard JaVale McGee because he's so big. But and then Dwight Howard, too. Dwight's been having some great couple games, too. Exactly. And the Lakers' depth, way better than the Thunder. The Thunder don't have much bench outside of Schroeder. Terrence Ferguson has not been shooting the ball well. And yeah. so the Lakers, I got the Lakers in five in that one. They might even sweep them. But yeah. we'll see who wins game seven tonight between the Rockets and the Thunder. But moving on to the other series, the Nuggets coming off an insane first-round series. Jamal Murray just being on absolute fire, going against one of the favorites to win it all, the Los Angeles Clippers and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Who do you think comes out of that and uh, advances to the Western Conference Finals to play the Lakers? It's, it's almost like the same thing with the Lakers and Rockets for me. Um, I think the Clippers will go on to beat the Nuggets. I think the matchup still is a nightmare for them. Um, who do you put on Kawhi? And then who do you put on George? If George? And the X factor in this series is Paul George. Like, it's just a given. He needs to turn up. He needs to start going now. And also, they've had more rest than the, than the Nuggets. Like, like we said earlier in our segments, Jamal Murray was like, we play already this soon. Like, he's worried. So I think after having a seven-game series, the with Utah, the Nuggets are just going to fall a little flat. And I'll – I'm going to say, and I think it will go five. Yeah, I'll go five. I'm also going to say the Clippers are going to advance in five games. I just think the perimeter defense that the Clippers um, propose against Jamal Murray is just going to be way too much. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, he, he took the challenge in game seven and really inspired, was really inspired defensively and just, for the most part, shut down Jamal Murray, only having 17 points in that game seven. I think the likes of Kawhi Leonard, their Clippers are going to be able to throw so many different bodies at Jamal Murray. They're going to – Paul George is an excellent defender. Reggie Jackson can stay with them. And if Patrick Beverly is back from his injury, he will probably be the primary defender for most of the game on him. Probably in crunch time, Kawhi or Paul George will probably switch. Yeah. And the Clippers have too much depth off the bench. They have a great bench. Shamit off the bench. Jermichael Green is like their 10th man, and he's still very solid. They've got uh, Matres, Harrell, and Lou Williams, who are averaging 20 points each off the bench. Just The Clippers just have too many weapons. And the Nuggets, I mean, they just play two-man game. They play Jokic, or Jokic and Murray pick and roll the whole game. And uh, they don't have many shooters. Gary Harris has not shot the ball well. Torrey Craig, I don't think he's hit a three in the past couple games. And Monte Morris is decent, but I just – the Clippers have too much firepower in my mind. So I'm going to say – I'm going to take the Clippers in five to advance to play Lakers. All right, we got the Western Conference Finals, the two L.A. teams, the matchup that uh, every every NBA fan is, like, kind of just looking forward to. It's kind of, in a way – the NBA Finals without being the NBA Finals. Anymore. Yeah, exactly. We've had those before. <laughs> kind of the two best teams uh, for the most part of the season that everyone thought would get to this point. But uh, who you got coming out of the West playing against the Celtics? I almost changed my mind by what you were saying about the Clippers. But but I want an old-school final. I want the Celtics versus Lakers. I want it. I want it bad. I think it will be – 
a great thing to end this kind of weird season on. Um, it'll bring back this old school rivalry. And I think the um, Lakers will win. It's it's going to be a tough series. I think this one goes seven or maybe even six or seven. But it's LeBron James, man. And I'm not a LeBron James like, oh, I love LeBron James. He's just – he's LeBron James. Like, and it, like I said, it's, it all comes down to if Paul George – like, even if they get past the Nuggets and Paul George is still in this funk, like – I think LeBron James and Anthony Davis is the best dynamic duo in the NBA right now. And I think Kuzma's actually been doing really well in the bubble too. So yeah, I have to take the Lakers in six or seven. Okay. I'm going to go with the Clippers on this one to advance to play the Miami Heat. So uh, we got a whole different NBA finals. So this should make for an interesting couple weeks. Yeah. See if it takes up. But reasons is I'm going to take the Clippers over the Lakers. I, for me, it's just the depth. I think, the Lakers starting lineup with the dynamic duo of LeBron James, Anthony Davis is arguably better than Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. But I just think in the matchups we have seen them play this season, the depth of the Clippers just wears down the Lakers. I mean, LeBron yeah. is old. He's going to have to play in the low 40s to minutes per game. Anthony Davis will too to, for them to have a chance. But guys like Lou Williams coming in fresh, Montrez Harrell giving them key baskets. I mean, Kuzma, like you said, will probably be the X factor. If he is going off, they have a chance. But just Danny Green is so streaky. Contavious Caldwell Pope is so streaky. Caruso, they don't have Avery Bradley. Yeah. Caruso, that hurts. Caruso off the bench. I mean, he'll give you hustle plays and like probably two or four points. But just the Clippers, all in all, just have too much depth for me. So I'm going to be taking them to advance to play the Miami Heat. And for me, I'm going to have the Los Angeles Clippers winning their first NBA title, taking home the Larry O'Brien trophy. Too much depth, too much defense. Probably going to be some low-scoring games. The Clippers and the Heat, two of the better defensive teams. Yeah. I have to take the Clippers taking home the trophy. And for that reason, I'm going to take the Lakers, just so we have this L.A. rivalry going. But, yeah, I think the Lakers have too much star power for – Tatum and Kemba. I mean, it's just a nightmare matchup for the Celtics. But yeah, I have the Lakers. I have the Lakers going. All right, you heard it here first. Our picks are in for the NBA playoffs. Me and Casey going with completely different finals matchups. I got one LA team. He's got the other. We shall see what happens. After the break, I'll be bringing in my real life example about Jimmy Butler. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wednesday edition of the Double Double on KLJX LP Flagstaff. I am your host, Chad Piper, alongside my co-host, Casey Everett. We just got done making our predictions for the NBA playoffs. Me and Casey are on two completely, completely opposite sides, so it should be interesting to see how it all shakes up and see who's right. If you viewers want to predict or do anything to see who you most agree with me or Casey, feel free to let us know. But now I'm getting into my real life example about Jimmy Butler. So many of you may know who Jimmy Butler is, but many of you may not know who he is or kind of the type of person he is. You might've just heard him as this basketball player, this good basketball player, this guy that plays for the Miami Heat who wears number 22 all in all, but I'm pretty sure all of you know about German Shepherds. You all 
I'm pretty sure everyone knows about dogs. Everyone loves dogs. Dogs are great for the world. And I'm going to be comparing Jimmy Butler to my dog, Koa, who is a German Shepherd, because their qualities are like, so like a German Shepherd, they are very business oriented. They are known as police dogs. You see them sniffing out drugs at crime scenes. You see them tackling the criminals on TV. You see them all about their business. They're very focused breed of dogs. They are very, as I keep saying, business oriented. Just like Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is a very passionate guy about basketball. He has been in the league for, I want to say, seven or eight years, and he has never been past the conference semifinals. And this year, he, you can tell he is on a mission. Like a German Shepherd, he is here to do a job. He said in a quote the other day, all family members are allowed are, excuse me, all players are allowed to bring in family members for the, after the first round of the playoffs. And Jimmy Butler elected to not even bring, is wanting to bring any of his family members in because he said, in quotes, I am on a business trip. This is serious for me. I respect the decisions of all other players wanting to bring family in, but I've been without them for already a couple months. What is another month or so without them? So that quote right there, you can just tell he is on a absolute mission to lead this Miami Heat team to a potential championship. And like I said, very business oriented, like a German Shepherd. Jimmy Butler, also like a German Shepherd, has a big bark. A German Shepherd, I walk my dog down the street and he barks, or I'm driving down, I'm driving my car and my dog's out the back window, barking at people as he sees dogs walking by and they get scared. Jimmy Butler has, has that mentality on the court as well. He is very protective of his teammates, just like Koa, my dog, is very protective over me. If anyone tries to attack me or tries to hurt me, they're going to have to get through him first, just like Jimmy Butler on the court. Jimmy Butler, for example, he's very loyal to his teammates on and off the court. There was a situation with one of his young rookies, Duncan Robinson, in one of the seeding games, Duncan Robinson was getting picked on by Chris Paul, and Chris Paul on purpose threw the ball off Duncan Robinson. I believe it hit him in the head and went out of bounds. And you could just tell it was a very petty play by the savvy veteran who is known for doing that. And a couple plays later, Jimmy Butler was not afraid to back up his teammate and actually ran over Chris Paul, who drew the charge, but you could tell Jimmy Butler did that on purpose. Even though Chris Paul is one of his better friends off the court, he is very loyal to his teammates first on the court. And his loyalty is just like a German Shepherd. Koa is always by my side. I can walk him without a leash. He will never run away. He's one of the most loyal breeds there is for dogs. So that is why Jimmy Butler, in my eyes, is like a German Shepherd Least All right, Chad. I have a question for you. So with everything being said about Jimmy Butler and him not wanting to play for the 76ers and Timberwolves, do you think this was the best possible outcome for Jimmy Butler being on the Miami Heat? I 100% think it was. There's not been a team. I feel like reporters have been saying all year, this is the perfect fit for Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler fits the mentality, he fits the mold of the Miami Heat. 
he's one of those gritty, hardworking players who doesn't care about social media. He doesn't care about looking good. He is one of those guys that works his butt off behind the scenes. He's one of those guys that puts in the hours when nobody is watching. So when the cameras are shining bright, he is going to give it his best effort. So 100%, I think the Miami Heat is the perfect situation for a guy like Jimmy Butler. Sweet. All right. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Double Double on KLJX, LP Flagstaff. We had some great conversations wrapping up the MLB trade deadline. We talked about a crazy first-round series between the Nuggets and Jazz. We talked about a couple other series and even gave our predictions for what we think is going to happen the rest of the way in the NBA playoffs. Thank you very much for tuning in. Signing off, Chad and Casey. See ya.